welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Praise God. Let's go to the Word. Acts chapter 16. And if I could just get a little bit more of this, that'd be great. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts chapter 16. And verse 25, and we're going to read through verse 31. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living. Uh, look on with the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, look on with a friend. If you don't have a friend, um, well, stick around church for a couple of weeks, okay? You'll meet a friend. Acts chapter 16, book of Acts chapter 16 and verse 25. I'm also going to read a passage of Scripture out of the book of Exodus. Um, and I'm going to read a passage out of the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures, and then uh, we're, going to, we're going to get into this thing. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself. The spirit of fear always assumes the worst. The spirit of faith always assumes the best. But he assumed the worst, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Verse 28, Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Along with everyone in your household. Now this is Exodus 16 verse 31. If you want to just jot that down, you can. Exodus 16 31 says this. And the Israelites called the food manna because it was white like coriander seed. The Israelites, the people, called the food manna because it was white like coriander seed. And one more scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, one of my favorite scriptures in all the world. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we could ask or think according to to the power that works within us. Can you say amen to that? Uh, one more time, I'm just going to read it for our hearing before we pray. This is Acts 16, verse 28. Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself, we are all here. Uh, I want to preach tonight, um, I want to talk about praise and worship, and I want to talk about how we respond to life, and uh, what we do in a good or bad season, um, but maybe you feel like you're in a midnight hour, maybe you feel like you're in a prison, maybe you feel like uh, you're in a dark place, but I I've come to declare tonight, it's better than you think. It's better than you think. It's better than you think. Can you, can you get real preachy with me and real American with me and find a neighbor next to you and tell them that right now? Tell them it's better than you think. Can you, can you do that for me? That'll help me. You're going to make me feel at home. Um, I felt like that neighbor was real rude to you. Find one more neighbor. 
Find one more neighbor. Tell them it's better than you think. Just, you might need to go across the aisle. I don't know it. They were a little bit. It's, it's better than you think. Praise God. All right. Let's pray. Father, I thank you tonight for what you're going to do. Thank you that you're working on our behalf. Thank you that our greatest days truly are in front of us. They're not behind us. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, Charles Dickens said uh, that it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. Um, I think that that statement is so popular and most of us know that statement not because we remember a lot of 19th century literature, uh, not because we remember uh, reading that book in high school or that we remember anything from high school, um, but I believe that that statement is so popular because most of us have been there. We've been in a best of times, worst of times moment. We've, we've been in a place where there's good things and bad things and they seemingly are happening at the same time. Um, I think this is where Paul and Silas find themselves in Acts chapter 16 verse 25 because the Bible said they were praying and singing hymns. Uh, I don't know if you've been there. You're, you're praising God with one breath and yet with the next breath you're saying, God, I need a miracle and I needed it yesterday. And so I'm finding myself almost like a spiritual schizophrenic because I'm going, oh, God is good and God is great and hallelujah, God's on my side. And yet you're saying, oh, Lord, uh, when, when are you going to do something in my life? And so it's kind of a best of times, worst of times moment. You kind of find yourself at two places at once. Rick Warren said that he does not really believe that life is simply mountaintops and valley lows, but rather that life is a two-directional street, and on one side of the road, man, we're moving forward. There's forward momentum. We got a promise from God. We got a purpose. We're, we're going with the Lord, and yet on the other side, there's negative momentum. Maybe there's a storm coming or an attack of the enemy, and we're kind of in two directions at the same time, but I want to encourage you tonight, if you feel like you're in that place, it's actually better than you think, and it is better than you think because, number one, I think that sets us free from a mountaintop mentality. The mountaintop, the, the when I get there, I'll be happy. Come on, somebody. When I make that amount of money, then I'll really trust God. Well, when we move to that neighborhood, then I'll be satisfied. Well, when I get that promotion, now listen, friends, there's nothing wrong with a there as long as you're not waiting to praise God until you get there. There's nothing wrong with a promise as long as you're not waiting on the promise to praise. So I thank God for the promise. I thank God for where I'm going. But at the same time, the journey with Jesus is more important to me than the promise from Jesus. So I thank God where I'm going, and I thank God I'm going in that direction. But while I'm waiting, I will worship. One man said that when God closes one door, he opens another, but it's hell in the hallway. It's in the Bible. Well, the word is. <laughs> if you can learn to worship in the hallway... If you can learn to worship in the place of I'm not where I know I'm supposed to be, 
but I'm not where I was, and I'm kind of in an in-between season. If you can learn to worship there, I promise you there's victory there. When you can get an attitude that says, I may not be where I want to be, but thank God I'm not where I deserve to be. Thank God I'm not where I used to be. Thank God God is moving me forward. Yeah, yeah, I haven't seen all the fulfillment yet, but while I'm waiting, I will not rot while I'm waiting. I think it also sets us free from the good old days mentality. Y'all know the good old days. Oh, man, 1994, those were the days. Ah, the 70s. Those were the good old days. Oh, and oh, that, uh, listen, if you really think about the good old days, they weren't that good. (laughs) I mean, they were okay, but they weren't that good. I think sometimes we have selective memory in what we remember. Ah, the good old days. I've found that most Christians, including myself, it's easy for us to love the God who was. And it's easy for us to love the God who will be. But many times, it's hard for us to love the God who is. So we love the God of the past and we love the God of the future, but many times, it's hard for us to worship the God of the present. And yet God says, Jesus says, I'm going to come to you as Emmanuel, God with us. Not just the God who was with you or not just the God who will be with you, but the God who is with you right now. I think it's amazing in the book of Exodus when God comes to uh, Moses, he says, Moses, take your shoes off because the place you're standing is holy ground. Now, I don't know if you know this about Moses, but at this moment he was a sheep herder. He was a cattleman. He was out there with the cows and the sheep and camels and everything else they have out there. And I don't know if you know this about livestock. Uh, They don't have designated restrooms. They go where they want to go, how they want to go, when they want to go. And God says, take your shoes off in that place because that place is holy. But Jabin... My current situation stinks. It's holy. But I don't really like where I'm at right now. You're in holy ground. Yeah, but I'm not really comfortable. You're in holy ground. It's better than you think. If you can learn to worship where you are, I believe God will take you where you want to go. Come on, if you believe it, say amen. And so Paul and Silas, man, it's the best of times. Acts chapter 16 The apostles are now on their second missionary journey. They are tearing it up. They are traveling the world. They're casting out devils. They're raising the dead. They're healing the sick. They're they're preaching the gospel. I mean, they've got a website. They got a Twitter. They got a Vimeo. They got a YouTube. They got an Instagram. They had a Vine, but Vine died. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm saying. They're, they're, They're doing awesome things. God has raised them up. And now God, listen to me. God has sent them on their second missionary journey. They have prayed and fasted, and God told them to go. The apostles and the elders bore witness that it was right to go. So I want you to hear this. They're under the direction of the Holy Spirit. They're under the submission of their leaders. They're in the will of God, doing the work of God, expecting promotion, And they end up in prison. What do you do 
when you're doing everything you know to do, but not getting the results you believed you were going to get? What do you do when you've been sowing the right seed, but seemingly getting the wrong harvest? What do you do when you don't know what to do? (laughs) This is where Paul and Silas are. They're doing the right thing, but seemingly they're in the wrong place. And this is where, I wonder if I needed that. No, I don't. Okay, no, we're fine. My notes went away. It's the Holy Spirit. Here we go. Seemingly, they're in the wrong place. This is where Paul can write with such authority in Romans 5, and he says this, rejoice in trial. Now, hear me. He did not say rejoice for trials. He said rejoice in trials. Huge difference. Paul says, I'm not thankful for what I'm going through, but I will be thankful in what I'm going through because I know that complaining will not move me out of my current situation. See, never forget this. The devil is a flesh devil. He only knows how to attack you in the five senses. So he's expecting you to respond in the five senses. But when you respond in praise and gratitude, when you respond in the sixth sense, when you respond in the supernatural, when you respond in faith, he does not know what to do with you. He can manipulate a complainer, but he cannot work with a praiser. So Paul says, I'm going to rejoice in it knowing that if I rejoice in it, God will move me out of it. So you come into church and you begin to worship. You're praising. You're going crazy. You're, you're praising God like the crazy people praise God. Y'all know the crazy people in church? Some of y'all don't know them. You are them. <laughs> and so praise the Lord. You're praising. You're jumping. You're dancing. And girlfriend comes up to you after and goes, why are, you, why are you so happy? Did your husband get saved? No, no, not yet. Woo, Hallelujah. Man, why are you guys so, did did you get approved for that house? No, no, our credit is terrible. (laughs) Woo, praise the Lord. Man, you went went to the doctor, huh? Man, did you get a good report? No, no, it's it's not not looking good. (laughs) So why are you praising that way? Because I don't need a reason to praise. I don't just worship God when I see the promise fulfilled because I know that he's not just a promise maker, he's a promise keeper. And while I'm waiting on the manifestation, I will not get caught up in fear. I will not get caught up in doubt. I will praise God till I see the manifestation of what he told me. And it doesn't look good right now in the natural, but I don't walk by sight, I walk by faith. This is not denial, but it is faith. This is not living in some la-la land, but it is saying, I know God is greater. And while I'm waiting on the manifestation, I will worship. I will worship. You know what? I do want to read a quote. Let me see my notes here. Lord Jesus, help me. It's hard to bend down when you're wearing skinny jeans like this. You know what I'm saying? It's like these things were hard enough to get on, let alone having to do aerobics. Okay, here we go. Am I intact? Okay, here we go. 
Come on, us Americans, we dress great. Okay, anyway, here we go. This is what Spurgeon said. He said, any fool can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. This is the praise that will confuse the enemy. If you think about Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and the enemy is attacking Judah. Notice this. The battle is always over Judah. Judah is a Hebrew word, and it means praise. The enemy is not after your stuff. He's after your praise. The enemy is not after the natural. He's after the spirit, but he can only go after you in the natural. But what he's really after is your attitude, and he's after your worship. Because if he can steal your praise, he'll steal your strength. And if he steals your strength, he'll take your destiny. There's always a battle over praise. So when your refrigerator breaks, it's not, oh, the, man, the devil done attacked my fridge. No, he doesn't need your fridge. He likes it hot. I was driving to church, I blew a tire, the devil attacked my tire. He, he doesn't need your tire. I broke a heel in praise and worship. It was the enemy. He doesn't need your shoes. They're beautiful, but he doesn't need your shoes. He's after Judah. So Jehoshaphat cries out to God. He goes to the prophet. He says, what do we do? And the prophet says, drop your sword, drop your shield, drop your spears, drop your weapons, and pick up an instrument. And they begin to go towards the enemy of Judah, praising and worshiping God, saying this, praise the Lord. His love endures forever. Praise the Lord. He is good. My, my situation isn't good, but God is good. The enemy isn't good, but God is good. My attitude isn't even that good, but God is good. So I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, and I'm just going to stay right there worshiping God. And as they worship, the Bible says that the enemy got confused, turned in on itself, and defeated itself. And it was such a powerful victory that Jehoshaphat renames the place where the battle took place to the Valley of Blessing. Your praise can rename your situation. Praise can rename that child that is rebelling and walking away from God right now. Your praise can rename your marriage. Your praise can rename your health. Your praise can rename your current situation. Your praise can rename your year. For some of you, you're going, man, 2013 has been so hard. I just want to get through it. I'm telling you, your praise can rename your year. And you can look back on the second half of this year and say, this was a year of blessing. Can rename things in your life. So this is where Paul and Silas are at. They're in prison. Silas, I believe, looked over at Paul and said, okay, man, you got us into this mess. What do we do? Because Paul was the grumpy old prophet who just had to cast the demon out of that girl and got him thrown in prison. I don't know why prophets are always grumpy, but anyway. So Paul's there, and they would have been hanging by chains. Their feet would have been bound. There would have been a wood block over their neck and over their legs. They would have been totally unable to move. And Silas looks at Paul and says, okay, what do we do? And 
I could just imagine Paul thinking to himself, you know what, it's a good thing. The power of life and death is not in our feet. Because <laughs> we can't move them. It's a good thing the power of life and death is not in our legs. It's a good thing Jesus did not say punch the mountain and it would be removed. Because we ain't got nothing. Listen to me, the power of life and death is not in your strength. <laughs> it's in the weakest and most sensitive part of your body. The power of life and death is in the tongue. And the Romans made a huge, huge mistake that night because they forgot to bind the thing that can move heaven and earth. And Paul begins to worship. Paul begins to sing. Paul begins to honor God. Silas joins in. And I believe all of heaven joined in in that moment. And as they begin to worship God in the lowest point of their life, they would have been beaten. They would have been stripped naked. They would have been totally malnourished. They would have been starving. They would have been thirsty. They would have been dehydrated. And in that moment, they worship God. They worship God at what seemingly was the lowest moment of their life. And as they do, the Bible said, the prison foundations begin to shake. When you worship, the first thing that happens is foundations shake. We all, even us really spiritual people on a Sunday night coming to church, have foundations. A foundation is a way of thinking that is against the word of God. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he would call them strongholds. It is a way of thinking that does not line up with the word of God. So maybe you're in this room and you say, well, granddad was an alcoholic and dad was an alcoholic and, you know, every one of my family's an alcoholic and I'm an alcoholic and once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. No, that's not what God says. That's a foundation but it can be shaken. Well, you know, everyone in our family goes through a couple of divorces till we find the right person, and so, you know, I don't know how this marriage is. No, 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 no. That's the foundation, and it can be shaken. Well, I don't, I don't think I'll ever succeed. I don't think I'll ever prosper. I don't think I'll ever find the right one. No, no, no. That, no, that, no. If it does not line up with the book, you don't have to receive it. And something happens in the presence of God that shakes those things that need to be shaken in your life. And so you begin to worship, and all of a sudden you look at your spouse, and you grab their hand, and you say, we're going to make it. You begin to worship, and all of a sudden you think about that family member that's far from God, and you've given up on the idea that they could be saved, and something in you says, God, save that family member. You begin to worship, and all of a sudden a business idea comes to you or a, or a, or a dream comes back to life in your life. The, the ruins come back to life, and it happens in that moment, and the thing that seems so impossible is all of a sudden possible again. This is what happens in worship. This is what happens in praise. The doubt gets stripped away, and all things are possible. Come on. And then the Bible said that every chain fell off and every prison door was open. When you praise, not only does God set you free, he sets everyone around you free. Worship over your business. Worship over your family. Worship over your situation. And watch what has been locked up 
open up in Jesus' name. Well, they're experiencing the greatest miracle they've ever seen. But now the prison guard walks in, and he thinks there's been a jailbreak. So the Bible said he drew his sword to kill himself. Now, why would he do this? Because under Roman law, if you were the prison guard and you lost your prisoner, you were now condemned to whatever their sentence was. But this man would not have lost one prisoner. He would have lost dozens. So this is what he knows. Rome is not just coming after me. They're going to come after my family to make an example of me. So he draws his sword and says this, maybe if I end my life, I can spare my family. See, the motive was good. You can be under a spirit of fear and have the right motive, but fear always leads to death. He was sincere, he had the right motive, but it was going to end his life. And as he's about to plunge the sword through his body, Paul gives him three powerful statements. It's like the first three-point sermon in the Bible. And the first thing Paul says is, stop. I want to look at somebody today. And the word of the Lord for you is not go, it's stop. Maybe there's a business deal that you're about to sign and, and you're being rushed into it. And the Lord would say, hey, wait a minute. Get a word from me before you sign that deal. Maybe it's, well, I'm going to get a promotion, but that promotion is going to take you out of the house of God. Wait a minute. Hear from God. See, as a believer, it's absolutely unfair to be a Christian. Because <laughs> we don't have to do anything till we hear from the Lord. I don't have to move. I don't have to sign that deal. I don't have to go in that direction. I don't have to do anything till I hear from, the God, from God. And what I found is that anytime I feel rushed to make a decision, it's usually the enemy. And the best thing you can do is stop, go to your apostle, go to your pastors, and say, hey, before I make a decision, before, before we end the marriage, before we do this, before we do that, hey, can you give me some advice? And you just stop and you hear the Lord. This is what happens in worship. There's a moment of stopping and hearing. And if the man would have moved, the miracle would have stopped. But because he stopped, the miracle flowed. Number two, Paul says this. In the New King James, it says, don't harm yourself. The New Living says, don't kill yourself. Now, this was a time in the night around midnight. This is what was called in those days the third watch of the night. The rabbis taught in those days that the third watch of the night was the most darkest evil moment of every day. They would encourage their people on the Sabbath, do not go out during the third watch. This is when demonic activity is at its height. This is when Satan would be moving. This is when hexes would be pronounced and psychic readings would be given and temple prostitutes from other religions would come out for the night. So the rabbis would say, do not go out on the third watch. See, in the natural, this was the darkest moment of the day. Religion said it's the darkest moment of the day. But God says you're right in the middle of a miracle. 
And when it seems darkest, get ready, you're about to see a breakthrough. When everyone around you is saying, it's dark, give up, end it, walk away, God is saying, no, 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 no. In the natural, it looks dark, but in the spirit, you're right in the middle of your greatest breakthrough. Drop your sword and get ready to see God do something in your life. I know it looks dark, but I'm moving. So the people of Israel come to Moses in Exodus 16. And they say, Moses, we want carbs, and we want them now. (laughs) Bread, bread, bread. So Moses looks at the people. He says, guys, but do you know what carbs do? They turn into sugar, and they make you fat. And they go, we don't care. We want bread. As you can tell, I don't eat bread. So anyway... It's funny. So Moses says, let me, let, me, let me talk to the man upstairs. Let me get back to you. So he goes to God. He says, God, they want bread. God says, do they know what bread does? It's going to turn into sugar. It's going to make them fat. I know. They want bread. Okay. God says, they want bread. They're going to get bread. Moses goes back to the people. Bread in the morning. It's coming. And people start rejoicing. There were some Mexicans there. They said, ay, tortillas. Gloria a Dios. There was Italians there. They started celebrating pasta dinner and pizza. I mean, everyone's rejoicing, right? There was even some Aussies there. Meat pie. So everyone's celebrating. It's a party. Well, they wake up the next morning to find this stuff on the ground. And they say, Moses, we, we, didn't we talk about bread? Manna. Hey, uh, Aaron, priest, um... We asked for bread, manna. Manna is a Hebrew phrase. It's not an English word. It's a Hebrew phrase, and it's a question. Manna means, what is it? Now, I don't know if you're laughing because you think I'm kidding or if you're laughing because it's funny, but it's true. They were surrounded by the answer to their prayer, They were surrounded by their miracle. They were surrounded by the promise, but they could not see it because it came in a form they were not expecting. God says, there's bread on the ground, but you're calling it manna. You're saying, but it's dark, and I feel like I'm about to end my life. And God says, no, 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 there's manna all around you. See, they were expecting bread. God gave them seed. Because seed multiplies. So God tells them this, only eat what you need for the day and then trust that in the morning there will be fresh bread on the ground. Because our God doesn't want to be a one-time miracle worker. He wants to be a God who provides every day, every week, every month, every year. He does not want to be a God of just the good old days. He wants to be the God of today. He wants to be the God of exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ask or think. I'm not going to bring addition in your life. I'm going to bring multiplication in your life because that's what seed does. So Jesus comes in John 6 and he says, I am the bread. And we go, oh, praise the Lord. Jesus satisfies like bread. No, no, no. Jesus comes in mystery in order 
to activate your faith. So you go, God, it's dark, but I think you're about to do something. And he says, absolutely. Absolutely. Don't harm yourself. Manna is on the ground. You're about to see a breakthrough. And lastly, Paul says, and we could have the keys come back up. Paul says, we are all here. See, in the natural, he walked into the wrong place, a prison. At the wrong time, in the third watch of the night, with the wrong people, he thought it was a prison break. But actually, the prison guard walked in to the right place, at the right time, with the right people. Within moments, this man and his whole family would get saved. Within moments, you can read this later on in the text, Paul would be set free from prison. They went from one of the darkest moments to a full turnaround like that. And I'm just crazy enough to believe tonight at Victory Church in Adelaide, Australia on a Sunday night that there's manna on the ground and that things are about to turn around in your life, that the ruins are about to come back to life, that the things that you thought were dead are about to be resurrected. And some of you, have, you've lost faith and you've lost hope and you've said, man, why am I here? And God says, I'm about to turn it around. See, I think many times we could get lost in this question. Well, why did I have to go through the prison? Why did I have to end up in that situation? Why did I have to come to a point in my life where I was within inches of taking my own life? Why did I have to end up there? And friend, here's what I found out about life as I face my own storms. and I don't know why things happen, but I do know God can turn it around. <laughs> I love this because they didn't get caught up in, well, well, why did we have to go through this? And why did I have to go through that moment? And why? No, no, no. They just trusted God. And do you know that theologians tell us that the Philippian church, where we get the book of Philippians, was birthed out of this moment. From darkness to multiplication. From no hope to multiplication. From death to resurrection. From fear to salvation. And I believe what God did for this jailer and what God did for Paul and Silas, he will do for you and he will do for me. It's better than you think. I believe your greatest days are not behind you. I believe they're in front of you. And whether you are 18 or 88, I believe your greatest days are in front of you. I believe the best is yet to come. I believe your ladder will be greater 
than your former. I believe we're about to walk into the greatest days that we've ever walked in as a church, as a people, as a community, as the people of God. Yes, the earth is getting darker and darker, but God said in the book of Isaiah chapter 60, my light is going to shine brighter and brighter. And I believe our greatest days as the people of God are not behind us. I believe we are in the good old days. I believe we are on holy ground, and I believe we're about to experience miracles. I believe your family's about to come to the Lord. I believe that that marriage is about to be restored. I believe that son or daughter that's walked away is about to come home. I believe your business is about to turn around. I believe, I believe, I believe. So the man comes to Paul and Silas and he says, what do I do to be saved? And they say, believe. Let me, let me talk first to the Christians. Where do you need to believe again? Tonight I'm asking you to believe. And then they say, and not only are you going to get saved, your family's going to get saved. How many at least have one person in your family that needs to come to the Lord? Okay, good, we're in good company. You know what the promise of God is? For you and your household. I, I believe tonight we can decree that our family is going to come to the Lord. That the person you've invited to church for weeks and months and years is about to come to church. That the family member that's made fun of you and said you're a religious fanatic, they're about to come to you and say, I think I need God. I believe prayers are about to be answered. I believe it. But number two, there's a group of people in this room. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe at one time you were walking with God, but maybe a prison moment, maybe a dark moment made you walk away from God and you've, you've been far from God. But tonight is your night. You're saying, Jabin, I need to come back to God. I need a second chance. I need to recommit my life to the Lordship of Jesus. If that's you tonight, I want to give you an opportunity right now. Maybe you're in this place. You go, man, I've never even been to church. And now I come in here. It looks like a club. I don't even know where I'm at. This is crazy. Jabin, I didn't even know I needed Jesus, but I find myself asking the same question the jailer asked. What must I do to be saved? Tonight, I'm asking you to put your faith in Christ. Jesus died on a cross. He took your place. He died for you. And he rose again so that you could live. And tonight God is saying, if you would believe me, I'll save you. I'll forgive you. And I'll give you a great hope and a great future. And tonight I'm asking, I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that if you come to Christ tonight, everything's going to turn around and you're never going to have another problem because we learned tonight that even Christians go through some stuff. But we also learned that God's with us and that God will bring us through. I'm not promising you a perfect life. I'm promising you a presence-filled life. God will hold your hand and he'll carry you through every season. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen, and God bless.